Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, property and investment podcast, sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability. Feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on LinkedIn, Anna-Claire Harper. Hi, and welcome to The Return, property and investment podcast. I'm Anna, and I'm delighted to be joined again by Victoria Hall, who is a leadership consultant at YSC. Her career has ranged from operational due diligence at the UK's largest private pension fund to assessing C-suite execs for major corporates of private equity firms. And as I mentioned last time, we met studying land economy at Cambridge, and she went on to study psychology as postgrad. So she knows about property, investing, and also about how people think. And she's been my inspiration over the last couple of the last year or so because she's been so strong in dealing with the mid-COVID diagnosis of stage three cancer. And she's just incredibly eloquent, as you'll know, if you've listened to the last couple of episodes and brilliant at talking about all things to do with property investment, life, legacy, and the rest. So welcome to the podcast, Vix. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks, Anna. So in this episode, we are going to talk about passion versus profession, work-life balance or blend, and early and mini retirements. But before we do, I just wanted to kind of explain the relevance and why we're touching on it in this podcast. Basically, almost all of the investors that I work with decide to invest in property as a way to improve their work-life balance or blend, or as a way to retire earlier or more comfortably, or because it's something that they feel passionate about that gives them something that they can't get in their day-to-day work or business. And these things may not be the sole reason for their investing, but they consistently play an important part in the decision to invest in property and also decision-making around those property investments. So I think it's highly relevant for property investors, although it's not necessarily entirely. We're not really going to focus so much on property investment as a means to get to work-life balance, right balance of passion versus profession and so on. So that's the context. Passion versus profession and work-life balance or blend. Vicky, should we start with some definitions? What do you think work-life balance means? What does it mean to you? Yeah, so work-life balance is, I think when I started work and this term was being thrown around, it was all about time and how you split your time. How worth it is it to do really long hours at work versus doing hours for you and at home or with your family. But as I've grown through work and also had this time recently where I've been off work, I've realized that this sort of feeling inside of balance isn't actually necessarily about how I split my time, but where my mind is during that time. So if, for example, you're working really long hours, but you're thinking about the kids at home, or you're at home doing your passion, like your cycle ride, and you're worrying about work, you may technically on paper be having the balance of doing something different and splitting up your time accordingly. But in practice, if your mind isn't there, then I feel like there's no point in putting those boundaries and barriers in place. So yeah, I think the last few years I've gone through this real transition. I know it's obviously kind of quite trended for everyone to talk about being present and being mindful and taking the time out to do things like meditation and breathing exercises. But I I really stress the importance of this because I think without taking time out in your mind, you're unable to actually take advantage of having, in inverted commas, a work-life balance. 
Yeah, that's a really, really good point, I think, on the time. Because I guess my perception of what work-life balance or blend is, because it's not always a balance, sometimes it is a blend of things you love and things that pay you and all this kind of thing, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it's like a time, and I always sort of kind of time and energy and how you prioritize things. But you're totally right, is if your head's always in the opposite place, then you're not getting any of that balance really anyway. And it's not the right kind of blend. So very good point there. Which I and there's of. also this expression of work smart rather than long right so if we're putting in the long hours and not actually being efficient with our time then it's kind of a bit of a lose-lose situation so if you're looking for more of a balance and your life outside work then you should darn well be a bit more efficient with your time when you're in work rather than feel like putting the hours equals getting the results and I think we've become a bit more aware of this since the pandemic where we work from home and a lot of us have actually become more efficient, I think, because when you're at home, it's even more obvious every hour that you spend in your bedroom, you want to make sure that you're taking use of that hour because otherwise you could be going for a run or going for coffee or doing something else for your, yeah, as you say, work-life balance. Whereas if you're in the office, you're like, oh, well, I'm here all day anyway. So you're just less aware, I think, of the efficiency element. And we've all... definitely. That was one of the like the biggest things that kind of worried me when I was in the corporate world was that people would get into work early and leave late. And there was breaks in between, but I mean, it wasn't a balance. It was very unbalanced and people felt like they needed to be in the office when actually you may not be being efficient at all. And the other thing I think to point out on the work-life balance thing is effectiveness rather than just efficiency, because you can get a load of tasks done in a short amount of time, but if there's the wrong tasks, and they're not really moving the dial in your business, in your job. There's no point in it's busy fool work. And mm. I think to your point about the impact of working from home more on a wider scale, for some people, I think they've got incredibly efficient and much better at saying, well, that task isn't relevant. So I won't do that, let alone do it efficiently. But I think for other people, they've struggled with that. And there's been a bit of a divide, I think. But I think both the efficiency and the effectiveness are both relevant for achieving work-life balance. Because it is But there is also, you know, you mentioned earlier about your corporate world of getting in early and people leaving late. There's this this emotional implications there is this feeling of kind of guilt. If you're the first person to leave early, you feel like you're doing a worse job than other people. You know, I was speaking to a friend only yesterday who's got a child and every time she leaves at five o'clock to go and pick up her child, even though she's done her work, she will feel that she's the slacker and so while she's trying to achieve the work-life balance and her priorities it's coming with real emotional ramifications for her and I think as we've moved to the work from home culture it's the same so we are all the more aware when we're not behind our computer or we get the emails through our phone whilst we're on our run so we're forced to think you know I should be back I should be doing this and and we really have to take a proactive mindset shift I think to think no, this time is for me and it's valid and I've done my job. And you know that we have to give ourselves quite a lot of self-talk to remind us of this. Otherwise, we can just go down these spirals of feeling guilty that we're not working hard enough or that other people are doing better than us because that is just the kind of natural human psyche to put ourselves down and to feel like we could do better. And yeah, it's about self-talk and reminding yourself that the reason that you're doing this is perfectly valid because it's only you that has to live your life at the end of the day. 
Well, I think that's highly relevant, but I also think there's the opposite side of that, where amongst the more, I suppose, work shy, there's a kind of almost a resentment of working. Mm. And it's like, well, actually, I'm not going to do any work unless I really, really need to. And that also doesn't necessarily work because again, to your point about the emotional aspect of it is if you're resenting your work, I mean, that doesn't help. Well, maybe it does, but probably not. And actually that kind of brings me on to the next thing I wanted to mention, which was ikigai. This is like a Japanese concept, meaning like it's basically like a reason for being. And there's kind of a complicated Venn diagram behind this, which isn't that easy to translate by audio, but (laughs) essentially it's, um, there's a sort of sweet spot between what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for and what you're good at. And there's, you know, your profession, your passion, your mission, your vocation in between that. And I think a related concept that I was taught, which is a bit simpler and probably easier to communicate via audio is this idea of the entrepreneur sweet spot, which is like when you're providing value to your clients, you're getting rewarded and you're passionate about the work. And the thing is that if you think about that Venn diagram between those three things, there's some jobs which would put you right at the end, one of those extremes. For example, let's say a very well-paid lawyer who is delivering a lot of value to their clients. They might be very high on reward and client value, but if they're not passionate about their job, then they'll still feel very uncomfortable in that position, even though they're making good money and their clients love them. And the idea that was communicated to me on that entrepreneur sweet spot is that when you are making a change to your work-life balance, think about where you are on those metrics. So are you valuable? Are you rewarded? Are you passionate? And then move towards the center rather than jumping to extremes. Because we've all heard the stories of the overworked lawyer who gives up everything and becomes a yoga instructor and ends up very passionate about the job. But it can then be difficult because if it's not a moneymaker for them or they're not doing it in a way that makes any money, they end up resenting the thing that they were passionate about. So jumping from extremes can be a lot harder and it doesn't necessarily give you a better work-life balance. Whereas moving towards the center and thinking about how you can achieve that, whether it's taking one day a week, you know, um, moving down to four days a week or whatever, or changing a job within a company just to get a bit more of a blend, inching Mm -hmm. towards it rather than leaping. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good image to have in the back of our minds, that Venn diagram of what we love, what the world needs, what we're paid for, and what we're good at. Because there's so many ways that we can achieve that, I think, by just thinking about the more subtle moves that we can make internally, as you say, within our firm, or perhaps take something up outside of our day job that will tick off that Venn diagram for us to feel more satisfied and fulfilled that then will make us you know, resent our job less. And I think when we're unhappy, it's so normal to jump ship and think that we need to completely start again. Um, and it can be useful to get out a blank slate of paper. But if you bring out a blank slate of paper with those missions in mind, then you can quite often find the answers a little bit more closer to home than, yeah, going extreme. And I think as an example of that, where I mentioned earlier, like a lot of the clients that we work with, some of them do it because they've always been passionate about property. And they obviously they want to make money because it is an investment, but some of them do it for the financial. And we'll talk in a moment about retiring and making sure that that's a comfortable retirement and preparing for that. But for some people, having that on the side of their job and knowing that they're investing in something that it feels like they're proud of it, that's enough to tick the passion box. And you don't, as that brings up the point that you don't necessarily have to get everything from your job. I think it's unrealistic to expect a job to be perfect all the time. 
and to make you consistently joyful and healthy and well-paid and feel well-valued. There are ups and downs in that and to expect perfection from a job is too much. But yeah, and for me, a property investor is just, I think that's why it's so appealing, to be honest, because I mean, for me personally, it ticks a lot of those boxes of it being getting quite a lot of satisfaction out of it, being quite good at it, you feel quite personal with the property, it's tangible, it's yours, you can see the results in front of you, you know that you're getting an investment return, it's absolutely a lot of those circles of the Venn diagram cover it. And what's great about it is that it can be done on the side of your day job. So With yeah. With the right teams in place. Um, <laughs> absolutely. So we've talked a bit about what work-life balance slash blend is. And I guess the reason I keep mentioning blend is because, yeah, it isn't always a balance. Sometimes it is adding in things and creating more of a smoothie than a selection of fruits, as it were. And, well, actually, I'm not nice. sure that analogy is really that good but but anyway and we talked a little bit about how for example moving towards the center of the entrepreneur sweet spot or that ikigai model rather than leaping towards the other side and I think there's also something to be said about when and I got some really useful uh, advice when I was quite early in my career again when I was in the corporate world there was one thing which was apparently from Steve Jobs which is this idea of if you have too many days in a row where it feels bad, then it's time to make a change. And only you will know how many days in a row you're happy to feel uncomfortable or unrewarded or unpassionate or hating your life. Only you know how long that is for you. But if there's too many days in a row, that's the time to make a change. Or another thing, a partner at Deloitte, when I was there, said to us as graduates, look, people move in and out of companies all the time. When you're looking at making that decision, the way to look at it is if you have too many weeks in a row where the company gets more from you than you get from it, then it's time to think about a change. And I think those things, are, those pieces of advice around when are both really, really useful. Yeah, I love that actually. And I think it's applicable to lots of parts of our lives. If we look at relationships, for example, I think the same can apply if you're in a relationship that makes you unhappy and stressed more days that it's giving you joy, then that's the time to think about breaking up or moving on. And absolutely the same applies with work. I myself have a story about having to leave my work because of that exact reason. I was happy with what I was being paid, but I didn't feel that I was necessarily that good at my job. I didn't feel like it was bringing the best out of me. I didn't love it. It didn't excite me. And I didn't feel that it was necessarily making that much of an impact on the world. For me personally, because only one of those four circles were ticked for the uh, Japanese entrepreneurial sweet spot. I got out that piece of paper and thought about what I loved. And I thought about what I was good at um, and what would make an impact, which is why I did my psychology degree. And now I found myself back in to an extent in the corporate world and still using my vocation and of psychology and doing something that I'm a little bit better at, but still in a way that can make an impact, but also make a bit of money. So yeah, I suppose I did go to a bit of an extreme end and then kind of came back in the middle by completing those circles. But certainly what was a push driver for me was that exact Steve Jobs advice that you mentioned, which is there were more days that I was feeling unhappy than happy. And I think that's just a really nice, easy differential when you're trying to work out whether you're miserable or not. 
But that's also, I think, in your story, it's actually quite interesting because, like you said, you went maybe from close to an extreme to closer to another extreme rather than necessarily moving towards the middle immediately. But that was a part of a journey towards the middle, which you're certainly closer to now, as far as I can see, from the outside. Um, But also that none of this, unless those decisions are irreversible, then you can always change back. And And that's quite important to mention because, for example, right now, like you and I, we've worked for 10 years ish there's literally like 30 more years of potential maybe more work before mm-hmm. we're meant to retire and that's even before you've decided to make your own decisions on that but that's three times the amount of time we've been working and there's a lot of points that you can make a decision at there and probably nothing to be afraid of because as long as you keep those decisions as reversible as possible then you can always change your mind and move back in another direction as required Yeah, and you mentioned timing being important. It absolutely is important. But the problem is you can't predict the future and the present never feels, it's never perfect. It never feels like the right time. You know, it's like having a baby. There is never a perfect time to do these things because you're always going to take a hit in some way in your, whether it's financially or time-wise. Or just being scared. Or fear, exactly. (laughs) Things are off for a long time because they're scared about change and understandably so. Yeah, but it's, it's important to know that as time goes on, things are probably more likely to get harder than easier. Yeah. You know, your mortgage is Absolutely. only going to get bigger. Your family's only going to get bigger. Your commitments, your dependents, et cetera, et cetera, are only going to get harder. So for me, it made sense so, to jump ship at a time where I didn't have the dependents. And yes, I suppose I took advantage of that. No, I think that's very wise. But I also think as we get older, we get more resistant to change if we're not practicing it. And the brilliant thing about when you're younger than us um, is you're really good at adapting, much more adaptable typically. And as we get older, we get used to our ways and it gets harder to make changes. And that can hold people in unhappy jobs or unhappy work-life balances for many more years than they need to, purely because you lose almost the confidence in your ability to adapt to change. Yeah. And there is a balance to be struck because, I mean, the generation before us would probably say that us millennials are just always jumping around too much and that we're always kind of chasing for more and can never be content. Whereas their generation would think that stability and security and being in the same place for a long time, even if you don't necessarily like it, was the sort of status quo. And there's probably, as all things in life, there's a balance between the two. And yeah, and just on that one, that's a really interesting thing because I think, again, when we started our career, I remember being advised, you know, or you should have at least one job in the early years of your career where you stay for a minimum of three or four years because it looks like you're good at commitment. And I understand that perspective completely. And I do think it's expensive for companies to hire people and expensive for them to train staff up. So you don't want to be looking like you're moving around every six months. But at the same time, what could be more stupid than staying in a job that you hate and a life that you hate just so that it looks good on your CV? I think that's a little bit too simplistic. And there's somewhere in between that where it's like, you don't need to spend 10 years in a single job to prove that you're committed to doing a role. And you probably shouldn't move around every three months unless you're on contract work, because that, I suppose, means that it will be difficult for employers or potential business partners to see your ability to stick to things. But there's something in between that. And it has shifted as things have got faster. Moving around has got easier. Everything has got faster. 
you can do in the click of a button what would take a year, 20 years ago, then the pace has naturally sped up, basically. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Although older people would probably look at some of our CVs, some people in our generation look at our CVs and think, oh, you can't commit. That's not the case. It's just that the length of commitment required is shorter. Yeah, and life is about learning. And I think we all know that, that if you're not learning, you're not moving forward. And the more opportunity sometimes that we take and different jobs and sectors of career that we have in our lives, I think the more we learn and learning is really important to us to stop us from getting bored or feeling like we're moving backwards. Mm, That's true. If you're green, you grow. If you're ripe, you rot. Another fruit analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about retirement then. So there's a couple of things. Again, as I said earlier, like a lot of the investors that I work with, they do it for reasons around retirement. And the traditional idea is obviously work a long life and then you retire. And originally it was, you know, you retire and then you basically die immediately. Now, more and more people live very long, healthy, happy retirements. And for a lot of my clients, their investing is about making sure they've got a comfortable retirement, i.e. when they stop working, there's a smooth transition, they can maintain their lifestyle into retirement. But there's also the idea of, okay, well, actually I might want to retire 5, 10, 20 years earlier than 65 or whatever. And there's also another idea, which admittedly not any of my clients have taken, um, chosen to go down that path. But but it's something I'm a big believer in, of many retirements, of taking a bit of time off throughout your career rather than back-ending all the fun. So those concepts are probably quite self-explanatory. So I suspect I don't need to define them. Do you think there's any more definition required there? I'm I'm a big fan of mini retirements. Having I'm 32 and I've already taken... Maybe two mini retirements, I suppose. I took one for my, well, it wasn't really a retirement, but it was certainly something that I did for me, which was my psychology degree when I went through my kind of transition. And then now I'm on a bit of a mini retirement, not from my own choice, but because of my diagnosis and I'm having to be on chemo. I have these little weeks between each cycle of chemo where I feel better and I do something for me. And it's just brilliant. And I, you know, I think why does it have to take an illness for me to be able to give myself this time? And I know, of course, we're all under financial strain and pressure, and it's not easy to just suddenly take sabbaticals. But a lot of firms are supporting this idea of having kind of three months sabbatical after every four years of service or whatever it might be. And and I think that's really important. You know, when I'm 65, I might not have the knees to be able to go skiing, which is what I love the most. And when we're young, we have the most opportunity to do the sorts of things that we can in retirement. We would be better at doing them now. So yeah, I'm a big fan of mini retirements and trying to make your life work around it. Because after all, I guess life is about trying to be happy. And that's why we're working at the end of the day is to try and bring a return for us and our well-being and to die feeling like we've made the most of life. If we're working towards some kind of fantasy retirement at the end, it might be too late. So absolutely. And it might not be that fun by that point, exactly as you say. And so I guess we can fairly easily dispel the idea that everything about working is about working hard towards this long distance, probably slightly boring retirement by the time you struggle to move. Although there are plenty of people who have retired who are more than <laughs> more than physically able. But I guess, well, I think I share the same thing as you. I would worry that my knees will be gone by then. <laughs> I won't be able to do all the activities that I want to do. Um, yeah, and if I, look, if I look at my dad, for example, he had a very good career. He was a lawyer and worked very hard and was very respected. And I look up to him hugely in what he achieved in his career. But it was just so sad because I don't, 
really know what he did it for in the end of the day. He did it for us, his family. But did he really enjoy his life? I'm not so sure because he was getting on the tube on the Northern Line every single morning. He was stressed all the time. He was so stressed that his health became really bad. He had problems with his heart. He had problems with alcohol and he never, ever enjoyed a retirement. And I just think that's, it's really devastating. And I see other people that do have a beautiful retirement and, you know, they go traveling around the world and things like that. And that's just really nice to see. And absolutely, they deserve it having worked as hard as they can. But I think it's a risk that we take if we try and back end everything and work so hard. It would just be a great travesty not to be able to enjoy it before we go. Yeah. I always sort of think if I was on my deathbed, and I think you actually said this to me when I was working too hard, um, no one, you're not, no one on their deathbed says, you know, I wish I'd attended a few more meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that those aren't the things that you would miss in that kind of situation. And I guess also your health scare and cancer and mine a few years back as well, it really brings to the fore, oh, life could be short <laughs> and you've got to make the most of it, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you certainly don't want to um, die the richest woman in the cemetery because, I mean, that's going to cause a huge tax liability, if nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so the one that we haven't, I suppose, really defined is on the early retirement. So there's this concept of FIRE, which I think is worth touching on especially in the context of investing. Yeah, FIRE, financial independence, retire early. And so this is, I mean, it's, it is what it says on the tin. You're getting yourself to a position where you're not dependent on a job or a business that you need to be working on day to day. And you're able to retire much earlier than anticipated, well, than our parents could plan for, basically. And so to achieve this, I've got some guidance for you. So there's this thing called the 4% rule, which was developed by financial planner called Bengen in 1994. And it's to work out what the FIRE number is, so how much you need in order to achieve financial independence so you can retire early. So your FIRE number is calculated by multiplying your yearly living expenses by 25. So for example, if your yearly living expenses were £50,000, you would need to invest 1.25 million and withdraw no more than 4% of your money each year in retirement, adjusting for inflation. So that's kind of helpful just to have a benchmark. You can find out loads more information about working out that number online. And I think the other thing that's really worth mentioning here is I think most people think that their retirement will be more expensive than it actually is. Well, actually, I don't know if most people do, but I think a lot of people I know (laughs) um, like over egg what they actually need to spend to get by. And the reality is more people than know it are in a position where they are effectively financially independent or not that far off it. If you reduce your living expenses a little. You might not want to do that, but I guess the point is if freedom from a job is really, really high on your priority list, there are ways of doing it much sooner than you would anticipate with a bit of maths and a bit of kind of conscious decision-making around investments in particular to achieve the goal of financial independence. And only you know how much you need to spend versus how much you want to spend in your retirement. But it's just worth thinking about those numbers and maybe sitting down with a spreadsheet and some evidence from your bank statements and so on to work out what those expenses actually are because the reality is most people don't know. And then back calculating from there to work out how much you would actually need if this was a serious goal of yours. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that don't even know how much they spend every year and what their living basis is. And so it's kind of silly that we're working towards a retirement when we don't actually know what we're working towards financially. Yeah, and it's much more manageable if you're working towards something that is real. So for example, let's say you've got a baseline living expense of, I don't know, £2,000 a month of this is the stuff you need to spend. So it's living and food. And then there's all the stuff you want to do. And let's say that's, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be £1,000, it could be £5,000 a month. Working out what that figure is and knowing that that's how much you need to make, it does give you that much more flexibility around job decisions, retirement decisions, mini retirements. If you've over-earned versus that living expense, or if you could over-earn versus that living expense, then you're buying yourself time for a mini retirement or you're investing and creating the position which you need in order to retire early. And so I guess I'm just saying for the people who really hate their jobs and feel trapped in it, just look at the numbers and see what the reality is rather than seeing it as an emotional decision. I think I spent half of this podcast saying things like <laughs> put numbers against things and let's not be too emotional. But I think it's And I spent half of this podcast saying how everything's emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's worth doing, I think. It's worth doing even if it's just to make you feel a little more in control and liberated. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else you want to add on uh, retirement, Fix? Well, I think just kind of generally on retirement and work-life balance and blend, I would say that I think it's important to be intentional about what we're doing and why. Like even planning a holiday, we might say, oh, we really need a holiday. And so that's our way of achieving work-life balance. But is that what we really need? And is the holiday going to actually make us feel good? What are the things that make us feel good? And that's where we should be aiming with retirement and with work-life balance rather than the things that we think we should be doing to achieve a healthy retirement or work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, I guess to conclude, it's important to be intentional about all these things, whether it's yeah investing to retire early more comfortably or to stabilize your income so that you can do many retirements, or whether it is making career decisions which have financial and life implications, doing it intentionally and kind of consciously rather than doing what you think you should be doing is, we think, really important. Cool. Thank you so much, Vix, for joining me. Um, and again, again. I, I think we said this last time, but again, we would love your feedback. I've had some messages from people on LinkedIn and we'd really welcome more. So if you've any feedback on the episodes that we're doing as this mini series, then do let us know. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as this really helps other people to find the podcast.